We will tackle session four of Parenting with Purpose. And we also have two other classes going on uh, right now in other parts of the building. One is our young adults, 18 to 25. And they are uh, meeting uh, straight across the uh, hallway in adult classroom two out that door. And then we also have a class for adults, older adults, older than 25, that are not interested in the parenting class for whatever reason. And if you fit into that category, it won't hurt my feelings if you leave. But you can go out that door and across the hall to adult classroom one, and they're doing a study in the book of Second Corinthians. So there's those two classes, and then what we're doing here for the Parenting with the Purpose class. And we're on page nine in the notes that you should have in front of you, page nine and lesson four. Before we get into lesson four, I remind you of some things that are coming up. One is a week from Saturday is our annual hayride and bonfire. And that is listed in your program. If you didn't get a copy of the program uh, today, get one at the information center. But it has uh, the location in there and uh, the details about that. But it's uh, five o'clock to uh, eight o'clock. And uh, that's at the home of one of our members, the Mize family. But it's one week from this Saturday, the 15th. The following Saturday is uh, our annual Hayra, uh, excuse me, Halloween event. And that's called Entrant- Enchanted Trails of Trick or Treat. And it's uh, not scary stuff. So if you're worried about bringing your child and they're going to get scared by the characters, they won't. These are all princesses and princes. Uh, that are dressed up, and it's done that way on purpose, not to scare your your kids. But uh, it's a great time. So that'll be on Saturday, the um, 22nd, and that is also at uh, 5 o'clock. And then just longer range, but important, just seven Sundays from now on the 20th of November is our next baptism. If you've never been baptized, you need to be because Jesus says so, and he's the boss, he's the he's God, and he makes the rules. And so you don't quibble uh, with him. And if you've never been baptized, then uh, he commands that. And I would love to talk to you about that. And you get that process started by filling out a one-page application, which you can pick up at the information center. Pick that up. You fill that out as best you can. If you don't know the answers to the questions there, it's okay. We will get together, and then we will uh, talk through it together. But you should do that, and you should do that very soon so that we can talk to you about it before the November 20th baptism. All right, we continue our series, 10 weeks worth. This is the fourth in Parenting with, with Purpose. And this series is divided into two major sections. If you look at the top of page 9, you see it says section 1, Foundations of Parenting. And then in a few weeks, we'll transition to section 2, which is the process of parenting, dividing the development of a child into three major categories and what kinds of things that a parent seeks to instill in those children in those different phases to prepare them for for the next phase. So these two sections, foundations and then the the process of parenting. We've had three lessons thus far. The first one dealt with the purpose for parenting, and we saw that God has designed the family to be uh, a community of three types, a learning community, a sociological community, and a redemptive community. And then lessons two and three were all about communication. And the reason they were devoted to communication is because if we are to be the sociological community that we described where life takes place, real life takes place, not the fake life that we put on at work and that we put on at church and all that, but real life, then there are going to be issues that arise between the participants in that family, the members of that family, 
And that's where the redemptive piece is important. But for redemption to happen, we have to know how to communicate with one another, both in a uh, proactive way and a reactive way. Proactive means that we're speaking to each other uh, in a way that ministers grace to one another. In fact, those two lessons are titled Grace Spoken Here. And so we speak grace. We looked at ways to to do that and not to do that. But also when we fail, we're going to have to speak words of forgiveness and uh, redeem and reconcile the relationship. So lesson one was purpose of parenting. Lessons two and three were about an absolutely essential uh, feature of family life. And that is understanding, knowing how to communicate, how to use our mouths toward one another. But now, page nine, we are... Uh, turning to roles within the family. Roles within family life that are foundational if the family is going to function as it should. And you see at the top of page 9, today we're dealing with husbands. Today we're dealing with husbands. And top paragraph there, having completed our review of what a family is and general rules that are applicable to any relationship, we now turn to the specific roles that are to be played within the family. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the roles of husband, wife, father, mother, and child, and the biblical responsibilities of each. But today we focus on the role of husband. Now, why? Why do we focus on the role of husband first? Husbands, uh, wouldn't you rather? (laughs) We spend several weeks talking about the wives. And uh, we could even skip the husband thing if, uh, if, if we took a vote on it. But not only are we not skipping it, we're starting with it. Now, why are we starting with it? Well, that's the second paragraph there. We begin this section with the role of the husband because of its priority within the family. Biblically, the male is to be the leader of the home. Now, if that frightens you uh, because this is a, a foreign concept to you uh, and, and uh, brings images to your mind of an authoritarian or dictatorial man in the home that just orders everybody around and to get what he wants for his convenience, stay with me as we go through this. Because those of us who are husbands, and then if we are also fathers, we are given the awesome responsibility. And I, when I say awesome, I mean that in the, in the sense of it's, uh, it is awesome in the sense that the young people use it. It's good. <laughs> but it is also filled with awe and even terror because of the responsibility that God has given. And the truth is, none of us on our own, without the grace of God, are equal to that task. So ladies, if that idea that males are to be leader in the home frightens you, then I just encourage you to listen as I go through this lesson, and you will see that we men have been given by God a very heady responsibility. And if it's carried out properly, then you have men leading in their homes that their children and wives will want to to follow, assuming God's at work in their lives as well. So why are we starting with the men? Well, biblically, the male is to be the leader of the home, but further, the role of husband is to be permanent, while the other male role, father, will, one, not be applicable in all marriages. So I want to cover this because if you don't end up having children, then uh, and some of you uh, are either contemplating marriage or you are married and you don't have children as yet. And if God gives you children, then the things we'll say about that will uh, be applicable. But we don't know that yet, right? So it's not going to be applicable in all marriages. But secondly, it's going to undergo the relationship a father will undergo significant change when the children leave home. So you'll be father for the entire life of your children, but 
that relationship as father will undergo a significant change when the kids leave and they start their own home. And let me add a third reason here, that we're dealing with husbands before we deal with wives and before we even deal with fathers as a role of of men. And that's because if you don't cultivate your role as a husband, men, um, before your children leave, uh, move out of the house, then you may experience what a lot of people do. And that is empty nest and then even divorce after empty nest. It's surprising how often that happens. But the kids leave and then the husband and wife realize they don't have a relationship. And part of the reason they haven't had a relationship is they haven't been cultivating that while the kids were there. The husband hasn't been playing his role as husband to the wife and vice versa. And now here we are and the kids are gone. And now what? Now, it may not end in divorce. The way it may wind up is just an existence. You stay married, but we haven't been cultivating our relationship and playing our roles, and therefore it's not a fulfilling relationship and not the kind of marriage that God would desire. So therefore, it is of utmost importance for men to understand their role as husbands first. And I ask the question on page 9, then where is the operator's manual? Men are often bewildered at the behavior of females. That's because God has seen fit to make us very different. I can testify to this. I'm an expert in this. Uh, I told you when we started this series that I am the lone male in my home among three women. And there are times where I will hear a conversation between the three women in my home. And I will have the foolish idea that I might have something to contribute. And so I will go and I will say, hey, I heard that, you know, and I think this. And on cue, all three of them look at me like, what planet did you come from? None of us agree with anything you're saying. What you just said could not be more irrelevant. Now, they're sweet when they say it. I'm saying it kind of mean. They're sweet. But they're saying, hey, thanks for your input. They kind of pat me on the head and then I move on. But they're... And and we'll kind of joke about it even, like I'm joking here. This just happened the other night. I won't talk about what it was and what the subject was and which of the girls was involved and all of that and their drama. But I was coming in to fix the drama. And uh, my input was not as welcome and not as helpful as I, I surely thought it would be. And so I find myself bewildered. And God has made us very different. And therefore, men often wish women came with an operator's manual. Well, they don't. Or, you know, maybe God hasn't left us quite as in the dark as we might think. Now, just to underscore um, how men are bewildered by the thought processes and the desires of, of women often, I have this thing I'm going to read to you called the husband store. So this is a store where women can go to to find husbands. And it says, a store that sells new husbands has opened in New York City where a woman may go to choose a husband. Among the instructions at the entrance is a description of how the store operates. You may visit this store only once. There are six floors and the value of the products increase as the shopper ascends the flights. The shopper may choose any item from a particular floor or may choose to go up to the next floor, but you cannot go back down except to exit the building. So a woman goes to the husband's store to find a husband. On the first floor, the sign on the door reads, Floor 1, these men have jobs. She's intrigued, but she continues to the second floor, where the sign reads, Floor 2, these men have jobs and love kids. 
That's nice, she thinks, but I want more. So she continues upward. The third floor sign reads, floor three, these men have job, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Wow, she thinks. But she feels compelled to keep going. She goes to the fourth floor, and the sign reads, floor four, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead good looking, and they help with housework. And she thinks, oh, mercy me. I can hardly stand it. And still she goes to the fifth floor and the sign reads, Floor five, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, help with housework, and have a strong romantic streak. She's tempted to stay, but she goes to the sixth floor, the sixth and final floor, where the sign reads, Floor six, you are visitor 31,456,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. <laughs> Thank you for shopping at the husband at the husband's store. All right, so men, we're bewildered at our wives and what they desire and what they want and all of that sometimes. But God has told us to try to solve that bewilderment by getting to know them. And the mere fact that the Bible has to tell us to get to know them tells us that it doesn't come automatically. That men and women, males and females, are indeed different. And therefore, effort needs to be expended, we're going to see, by us as men and leaders in our home, homes to get to know our wives. And so I say here, husbands must be students of their wives. And here's where I get that. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. You see it listed there for you. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, this is important enough that the last line says, if you don't pursue this and you're not willing to get this right, that it actually has a vertical effect, that nothing will hinder your prayers, that this is displeasing to the God who gave you the role of husband and gave you your wife as a gift, and your children, if you have them as a gift. And so you're to do this, and failure to do that will this will displease God and have a, a not only a horizontal effect on you and your wife, but a vertical effect as well. And here's what it says to do. Notice, husband, husbands, in the same way. Now, that in the same way piece I'm going to talk about next week when we get to wives. Because verses 1 through 6 of First Peter chapter 3, this is verse 7, But the six verses prior to that are addressed to wives. And then this says, in the same way, husbands. So in the same way as what? We'll see that next. We'll see that next week. But husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. When you read the word, when I read the English word considerate, I think of someone who's polite. That was thoughtful of you. That was considerate of you. That's not what it means in this uh, this context. In fact, in the King James Version uh, translation of that verse, it says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And this that phrase, according to knowledge, is considerate in the NIV translation that we have here. So considerate is being used here of knowing something. It's being used in the sense that we might say sometimes, consider this. When we say consider this, we mean think about it. And so what it's saying there is husbands be considerate. That is, husbands think as you live with your wives. Think about your wives. 
so that then you can fulfill the other pieces of this, treat them with respect and so on. So what that means is then, I say, middle of page nine, that husbands need to seek to understand their wives. Now I'll talk about a little bit how we men go about doing that in a bit, but just for now, the the fact and the command that we have the responsibility to get to know our wives, to understand them. Husbands, consider your wives. Think about your wives. Be knowledgeable as it relates to your wives. So we're to seek to understand our wives, and then I say their husbands must seek to understand their wives for life. Now, why do I say that? Because the way that command is written, be considerate, think about your wives, be knowledgeable about them. It's written in the Greek language, which is what your New Testament was originally written in, in a way that is continuing, uh, suggests continuing action. So this is not something I do once and then stop doing. That I'm trying to get to know my wife, trying to understand my wife, I do that for, you know, a few days because I took this parenting class and Brown said I'm supposed to. And then, okay, check that off the list, done that, and move on. The Bible says that that's an ongoing activity. And practically speaking, you can see why it would be, can't you? Because there are always new things to know. There are always new things to know about what's going on in the life of your spouse. There are new phases that you're going through together. There are new challenges that she's having. And in order for you to be aware of those, knowledgeable of those, and then live with her in a considerate, understanding, thoughtful way, then that means in an ongoing way, i got to find out what's happening with, with you. So husbands seek to understand, and they do that in an ongoing way for life. So men, we've got to be students of our wives. And that means, I say B, that husbands must be students of women in general. So just reminding yourself, guys, that she's a gal. And some of the things in general that we know about gals. Now we can have the jokes and we can have the husband's store and all that. And by the way, I got a million of them. (laughs) But on the more serious side of it, the truth is that, that we are different. God says here in this passage that the wife is the weaker partner. Now, notice it doesn't say the inferior partner. Next week when we talk about wives, I'll make that very clear. The Bible does not teach superiority and inferiority one way or the other. That we are equal in who we are as humanity made in the image of God and in our standing before God. But God has made us different. So weaker, uh, physically weaker for one, and then, because wives are equi- ladies are equipped to have children, that has physiological effects as well that affect uh, women in general also. And so that can, ca- can cause a weakness, not only physically, but emotionally at times as, as well, simply because of physiologically how we, are, how we are made. So husbands have got to understand women in general now. If you came from a home where you had a lot of sisters, then you go into marriage knowing something about women. I had none, zero. Uh, I had three three brothers, so there are four boys in my house, no uh, no girls. So when I go into marriage, uh, I I don't know the deal with, and I got we we were married at twenty two, 
So, uh, you know, you had a short time in high school and, and college where you were dating, but then we get married. And so it wasn't as though I knew a lot of women and I knew no women in my home other than my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have sisters, didn't know all the stuff that they, they went through and all the stuff that uh, they would they would feel and didn't automatically know how to treat then a woman. And not only that, I didn't have a dad to teach me that because my father died when I was 11. So my mother raised me from age 11 on. So that had to come for me from the Bible, mostly. That had to come from passages like this and making application of that in our marriage. But it took some trial and error. It took some time. I was surprised at some of the things that go on in the life of a woman when I, when I got married. Had I had sisters, I would have known more about that. But we men need to know women in general. But then we need to know our wives in particular. There's then the differences between males and females that we need to be aware of and the things that a typical wife is going to go through and perhaps struggle with and and desire. Uh, For example, in general, women in general, uh, all studies show this and experience shows this, that women desire security uh, more than men do. Now, men don't love uncertainty, but men tend to be more risk takers. Men tend to be more, let's charge at it and see what happens. And women value security. Well, those are, those are things about women in general that it's helpful for us husbands to know, right? Because if I don't recognize that and I just go charging along and I go saying, this is what we're going to do next and she's dying. What's that going to mean? Where's that going to lead us? Where's that going to lead the kids? And all of that needs to be taken into consideration. That's women in general, but then there's your wife in particular. She has particular desires and goals uh, and uh, things that she would love to achieve in her life. She also has a particular way that she was brought up, a family that she came from that's unique to her that she is bringing into into the relationship. She may be bringing struggles into the relationship that she has naturally because she's a sinner like you are and uh, because of what was modeled to her in her home. There may be physical struggles that she has. You've got to know that and how that affects her. Physical struggles. I've just met lots of young couples, lots of them, where early on in the marriage often the woman is developing some kind of physical problem. Uh, my Laney wouldn't mind me saying this, but Laney's 21, and Laney's uh, been diagnosed with thyroid issues and uh, just diagnosed with Hashimoto's recently. And I have seen lots of young women, probably several, some of you, I know, several of you in here, uh, struggle with the same kind of thing. Well, that has effects on you. That has effects on how you feel. That has effects on the things you're able to do and the things you're not able to do. And men, we husbands, have got to be aware of that and not only aware of it, but aware of it for a reason. So that we can treat them. That's what the verse says. Not just be aware of it so you know how to, you know, when to avoid them. <laughs> but aware of it so that you can be of help to them and encouragement to them. So men are to be students of their wives. 
and do that for life, women in general, but our wives in particular. But how? And that's what else is on page nine. Well, how can I help? If that's what I, as the husband, am called to do, know my wife and do that on an ongoing basis, then how can I do that? And I say here, communication is prerequisite to understanding. That's a fancy way of saying ask. What's the best way for me to get to know my wife, what her struggles are, what her desires are? The best way for me to do that is to ask her, to communicate with her. Now, guys, if you communicate with your wife, don't do this. Don't come home one day and say, hey, honey, I'd like to take about an hour and a half for us to just talk. Don't do that because she will have a heart attack. Women don't expect men to want to talk. Women are always trying to get the men to talk. So prepare her that God's doing something in your heart here, but I'll ease you into it, that I would like for us to set aside some time for me to be able to talk to you about you and for me to find out from you how I can be of help to you. What are the things you're dealing with? What's going on with you? What kind of physical struggles are you having? What kinds of concerns and anxieties are you you having? God has called me to lead this family and to help you, so I need to know what's going on with you. Now, you guys are going, okay, man, I'm trying to picture that. (laughs) So help me. Well, I will. At the beginning of your packet of material, we have some recommended reading. And on the second page of those two pages of recommended reading is a heading for husbands. And there's a book listed there. And the book is called The Complete Husband by Lou Priolo. The Complete Husband. In The Complete Husband. I believe it's page 43. But in that book, there is a a section on questions, men, for you to ask of your wives. So you get that book and you should read it. And then you should seek to implement it. And part of implementing it is asking those questions of your wife. Uh, so you'll have, you don't have to make it up. That'll give you a good starter. And there are a lot of, a number of them. And they are all, they are all very good. Now, if we don't have enough copies, if you go to the resource center, um, I believe we have that book. I know we carry that book. So go there. Uh, here's, here's what I want to see afterwards. I want to go in there, and it'll be all wives in there buying this book for their husbands. That's what's going to be going on. But any, whoever goes in there to buy the book, you know, if we don't have enough or if you don't, uh, you really should get the book so we can order more for you. Let the folks know there that you want it, and we'll, they'll order it for you. But in the meantime, if you want to do that this week and you don't have the book, email me. If you need my email address, see me on the way out. I'll give you my card. Email me, and I actually have that section copied to scanned with those uh, questions, men, that we can ask of our wives. So communication is prerequisite to understanding. How am I going to live with my wife according to knowledge in a considerate way? I need to ask her uh, how I can, can help her. And those questions will help you. And then, how else can I help? Well, it's by fulfilling the number one command the Bible gives us as husbands toward our wives, and that is, namely, husbands must love their wives. If I'm going to help my wife, if you're going to help your wife, then you've got to talk to her, you've got to understand her, you've got to ask her, you have to love her. 
Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, according to Scripture, contrary to culture, love is a verb. Love is primarily something you do. It's not first something you feel. It's not less than something you feel. It's just not first something you feel. It is primarily something you do. Notice that passage. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. How's the love of Christ demonstrated for the church primarily? He gave himself for her. So that's why I say love is a verb. It's not primarily a feeling in Scripture. In the famous love chapter, bottom of page 9, this portion of Scripture is often read at weddings, isn't it? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. Now notice all that's all stuff you do or avoid. Stuff you don't do. Therefore, top of page 10, since husbands are commanded to love your wives, they must act on behalf of their wives. If love is something you do, if it's protecting and persevering and trusting and is patient and it's all of that stuff, then it, one, is not passive, and two, requires then activity. It requires, guys, things we do and particular things that we avoid. Husbands are commanded to love our wives, therefore we must act on behalf of our wives. In fact, a working definition of biblical love is this. I have it for you there. Doing what is in the interest of another. Doing what is in the interest, doing what is actually in the best interest, I should have said there, of another. So men, as we love our wives, what we want to do is what's in their best interest. In order for me to know what's in their best interest, her individually as a person, I got to know her in particular. So I got to know what goes on with her. I got to know what makes her tick, what her fears are, what her struggles are, what I can aid her with, how I can move her in a good direction. So doing what is in her best interest requires that I, that I know her. Now it also means, and, uh, it, it means as applied particularly to other relationships like our children. If love is doing what's in the best interest of another, then it doesn't mean indulging the other person so that they like you. That's what a lot of people think love is, and particularly as it applies to children. Let's, let's buy the children off, in effect. Let's give them as much entertainment, let's give them as much stuff and activity as we can, and hopefully they will then, in turn, like us. And that's not a biblical definition of love because it's not in the children's best interest for you to create self-centered consumers out of your children. And that's precisely what you create when you do that. And it's true in our relationships as husbands and, and wives as well. Men try to do that. You know, I read in the first hour, if you were here, about, you know, the guy who tries to cheer up his wife. How do we men do that? And the man, what am I going to do? Let's buy some flowers. Let's, let's buy her a vacation. Let's... You know, whatever it is. Now, those may be good things to do, but we tend to default to let's buy her something. Let's get her something. But that may not be in her best interest. Just as an aside, this definition of love will help you with problematic people in your 
sphere of uh, relationships. You know, many of us have somebody in our family or somebody who's always abusing the relationship. I mean, I've had this in my family where people are asking for money all the time and you feel obligated to give it. I mean, after all, it's my, you know, my cousin or my brother or my spouse. But love is doing what's in their best interest and indulging them to do whatever it is they're doing with their money when they're continually spending it and then having to come back for more. That's not in their best interest. So in order for me to truly love them, then I need to direct them in another way. And that's true with the spouses. It's true with our children as well. So that passage, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love is a verb. It requires action. Christ took action on our part, but it explains further, men, what we need to do in order to play out this love. We must pursue her sanctification. Men, if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that means a couple of things. One is we're going to pursue her sanctification. There's the full passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her. Okay, so we already had the first part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But then it tells you why he did that. Two, for this purpose. To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So in a nutshell, what that's saying is the the priority object that our love for our wives has men is their spiritual growth in Jesus. That's what that's saying. No hands. I don't want any hands raised, any of that. I just want you guys to think about that. Am I leading my girl in that way? Am I leading my girl to growth in Jesus? And very often, I see the wives as the spiritual leaders in the homes. And God is saying here, men, I'm calling you to not bark people around for your own good, order people around for your good. I'm calling you to lead spiritually in your home. And I'm calling you to lead your wife to growth in Jesus. Well, men, that's convicting for many of us. But it is absolutely necessary for us, if we're going to love our wives and we're going to have the kind of foundation built in our homes that will allow us together as partners to be parents, if God gives us children, this begins with us loving our wives to the end that we are uh, pursuing their growth and helping them in their growth in the Lord. How does that happen? According to this passage, we say in your notes, make the word of God... Central to your home. When you, when you guys think about this, you're, you're thinking, some of you, man, so that means I gotta gather the whole crew around a table, and I gotta basically teach them a Sunday school lesson. I'm scared to death, I don't know what to do. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. You don't have to gather them around a the table and teach them a Sunday school lesson, okay? But one, 
you do have to get to know God's word yourself. We offer ways for you to do that at our church. We offer lots of ways for you to do that. We meet on Wednesday evenings. We have classes for you to do that. We try to make it, frankly, easy for you to do that because we offer courses for somebody who's just starting out how to get the most out of your Bible. The courses I teach on Wednesday nights are just foundational courses for Christian living. We've got one that's going on right now called that, Foundations. So you ought to be attending that. If you're not able to attend that, you let me know. And literally, I or the other people who are teaching that will find a time to get with you to go through that material with you. That's how important it is. But in order for you to make the Word of God central to your home, you do have to know the Bible. You do got to get to know the, the Word of God. you got to know what it teaches. But then practically, how does that work out in your house? Here's practically how it works out. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 in your Bible. Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 says, beginning in verse 4 all the way down to verse 9, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, you should look this up. And it says there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And then the next verse, verse 5, says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul. And then after that, it says, These commands that I give you today. And then it says they are to be upon your doorpost and they are to be in your coming and your going and your getting up and your lying down. And you are to, that passage says, impress these on your children. In the, in the coming and going of life. So men, here's the best thing you can do in order to make the word of God central to your home. One, get to know it. So at the minimum, show up at church and not just on Sunday morning. If you can be here on Wednesday to learn the Bible, that would be a great thing if you're serious about this. So you get to know the Word of God, but then you talk about the Word of God with your wife and with your children, if you have them. You talk about it. You talk about how the Bible applies to that thing that's going on in their lives. You talk about it through the stuff of life. I think it's fair to say, and I think Kim would agree with this, that the most instructive times, the most important times that I have had with my daughters have been when I have been riding in the van with them and just talking to them about life and bringing to bear the Word of God on what's happening with them. When we're riding to school, which I did with them like for years, I drive them to school. And when we're driving to school, we're talking about what's going on. And when we're driving home from their sporting events, we're talking about what's going on. But what I'm looking for are what some have called teachable moments to bring the Word of God to bear on what's happening in the girls' lives. And they and we still talk about how precious those times were for us. Now notice, it's not around the table. I don't have to te- I'm not teaching a Sunday school lesson. I'm talking to the girls, coming and going, Deuteronomy 6, impressing upon our children that the Word of God applies to everything that's happening in their, in their lives. So making the Word of God central to the home involves at minimum those things. Learn it and then talk about it. And then secondly, it means men, we must protect our wives and our children from harmful influences. That is, those things that would keep them from being without stain or wrinkle. Keep them from being holy. So it means, men, that you're a protector of your home to keep junk out of it. Now, hopefully you have a wife who doesn't want to bring junk into it. 
but for your, you as spouses, for you as, uh, as parents and, and with your children, you need to, to reinforce with each other and teach to your children that, look, there are certain things that the world, the culture offers to us that are contrary to the holy life that God requires. And so we don't watch that stuff here. There's stuff we don't watch. There's places we don't go. There are things we don't say. It's not because that is what gets us to heaven. It's not because we're legalists. It's because we love Jesus and we want to please him with our lives. And he talks about being holy here, okay? Being without blemish. You know, in, in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 27, it says this, 127 James, pure religion that God our Father accepts is this, to help widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that's what's being talked about here. And men, that means not having those kinds of heart. If you're the dude who lays around and you've, you know, watched junk on TV, then you're not being a leader, a spiritual leader in your home and keeping those harmful influences from coming in. And why should your kid not think then it's okay to go in his or her room and watch whatever? And while they're doing that, and when I talk about especially teenagers later, I'll talk about why it's not a good idea to have a teenager cave that they escape to and then they just go and do whatever they're doing in there. But why wouldn't they if you've got a man cave and that's what you do and you watch junk? All right. So he must pursue her sanctification and then he must serve her by loving leadership. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, says Ephesians 5.23. So what does this loving leadership look like? It means these two things. Manage the household, be a servant to your wife. Managing the household does not mean doing everything in the household by any means. If you come over to my house, um, truth is I do very little at our house. Kim is, we've been blessed to be able to have her at home. And we've sacrificed, frankly, to make that happen. Because for us, that's, that's important, especially while the girls were uh, going through school. They're now out. And so I'm telling Kim she's got to go and get a, a really good job. I didn't tell her that. I was afraid to tell her that. But you guys will protect me. I'm telling her that now. But that's what we've, that's what we've done. And Kim is a domestic engineer at home. You know, she keeps all this, she keeps all this stuff going. She keeps all the wheels, the wheels going. And it's a full, full-time job. It's more than a full-time job. And so I never ask a, a housewife. I'm very careful when I meet a woman and I ask the husband what he does. And then I never say to a woman, do you work? <laughs> because if she's a stay-at-home mom and she's even close to a good stay-at-home mom, she works a ton. Because there's a ton to be done. So, When I say managing the household, I don't mean doing the stuff. The truth of the matter is your wife might be better with numbers than you are. So that means you can, you delegate that. If she's better with a checkbook than you are, fine, then, then, then do the checkbook. But it does mean you oversee. That's why I chose the word manage here. You have to oversee what's happening in your home, make sure that it's getting done, and make sure it's getting done in a way that pleases, that pleases the Lord. So you may delegate a, a number of things that you mutually agree, you'll do some things, she'll do others, but you're responsible to manage it. And then lastly, 
You're to be a servant of your wife. So this whole thing about men being in charge, I hope you can see now from 1 Peter 3, from Ephesians chapter 5, men is not first about us, it's about the people that we're to lead. So this is called servant leadership. This is someone who is sacrificing of himself and willing to sacrifice things that are important to him for a larger purpose, his wife and his children if he has them. So this will be my last point, and it will segue into next week as we look at the primary command that God gives to the wives who, if they're blessed to have these kind of men, and they fulfill that role, the wives fulfill the role that we'll see next week, you can have a very harmonious marriage relationship together. But men, I say here that you're to be the servant of your wife. Here's the best way for you to be a servant of your wife. Submit to your wife. You go, wait a minute. Look, you just pounded on us for 45 minutes. You told us all the stuff we're supposed to do. We're responsible for all this stuff. And I was looking forward to at least the women getting theirs next week when you tell them, okay, but you got to submit, which we are going to see next week. Why are you now telling me I got to submit? Here's why. Because as we're going to see, remember that in the same way, husbands, phrase that I talked about? We're going to see that that means you submit to your wives. One. Two, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says explicitly, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what that verse says. And then the next verse says, wives submit to your husbands. It talks about slaves submitting to their masters, children obeying their parents, all of that stuff. So why do I say that there's a sense in which men are to submit? Here's why. Submit means to place yourself under. That's what the word literally means. And although, as we've seen, men are the ones who are charged by God to lead their homes, therefore they're not submitting themselves to their wives in the sense that they're abdicating leadership. doesn't mean that. What are they placing themselves under? What are men to place themselves under? Men, we're to place ourselves under the needs of our wives. You submit to the needs of your wife. And that, because you love her, means you'll do what's in her best interest. It means you will sacrifice stuff that might be important to you because she needs it. Now, guys, that could be a long list, but I think you could fill in some blanks there. Sacrificing what? Maybe your home from things you would otherwise like to be doing. You might want to go out with the guys. You might be uh, want to be in that you know, bowling league that goes till 10 o'clock or midnight, or I'm just making stuff up. But you're willing to sacrifice that because she needs it and because your children need it. There may be toys that you want to buy, but you're willing to sacrifice that because your family needs other stuff. There may be a measure of independence that you want where I just want to go and do my thing and I don't want to have to be beholden to anybody else. You may want that. Hey, that's a that's a a great thing when you're 16. But when you're married and you have a family, now they become your priority. And so you may want to go and do that, but you're willing to submit that, place that under what your wives and your children need. I could go on on that. But you guys, I encourage you to fill in those kinds of things in your own own lives. All right. 
next week in the interest of equal time we'll beat on the women so guys (laughs) the place will just be filled with all men next week (laughs) let's pray father thank you for instructing us about you about us about our struggles about your solution to those struggles in the lord jesus And Lord, those of us that you have graced to come to know you through Jesus and to whom you have graciously given your spirit so that we desire what you say in your word. Lord, we are thrilled to be able to read your word and to be able to see in those pages instruction from God Almighty about those you have made and the relationships that you have called us to. It is you, Lord, who created marriage. It is you who has given man for woman and woman for man. It is you who give the gift of of children in families. This is all your idea, and you have instructed us in your word about it and what you want us to do in it. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. You have not left us to grope in the darkness. But, Lord, we need your aid. We need your spirit. We need your grace in order to apply these things that are contrary to our sinful nature. But Lord, as you help us to do this, and as we see the results in grace-filled families that speak to one another in uh, ways that Scripture describes as ministering grace to those who hear, as we act in ways that put the interests of others before our own, as we see the results of that in our marriage relationships and in our children, Lord, we take no credit. We give you the glory because it's all from and for you. Help us to implement what we've talked about today, this week, and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.